So this episode is about uh, trauma and, and trauma therapy. Specifically, we're going to get into uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, and it's one of the modalities used at the Yacha Treatment Center, who is the, uh, the title sponsor for this episode. Uh, Mike Miller is the, uh, the head clinician and uh, co-founder at the Yacha Treatment Center here in Krabby, Thailand. And uh, last episode, we really got into internal family systems therapy. This time, we're going to get into CBT, and next time, we're going to get into EMDR. My experience at the Yacha Treatment Center has completely changed my life. They specialize in trauma. That is the thing that they do. And the entire experience there is conducive to, to, to healing from some of the traumas that, that we experience. In my case, in active addiction, at least that's why I thought I was going. It turned out to be that there was a lot more trauma that, that I had experienced in my life that I had, didn't even realize that I had experienced. And it's absolutely transformative to, to experience what, what I did at the Austrian Transfer Center. So uh, check them out. Go back and check out that episode. Uh, the first episode in the series is 207. And uh, I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Mama, I got bad news. Bad news. I've been rolling with some bad dudes. Bad dudes. I've been trying to get them back. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Ashes to Awesome podcast, Rising in Recovery. Our podcast provides light, hope, and understanding about addictions and mental health to people living within that life and the people who love them. Today's episode is brought to you by Yacha Treatment Centers in Phuket, Thailand. They are a clinic run by clinicians, not a business run by businessmen. And they know that where addiction is the smoke, trauma is the fire. Learn more at yachacenters.com. That's Y-A-T-R-A-C-E-N-T-R-E.com. Hello, everybody, watchers, listeners, supporters of all kinds. Welcome to another episode of the Weekend Ramble on the Ashes to Awesome podcast. I'm your host, Chuck LaFlange. With me in virtual studio is Lisa out of Calgary, Alberta. How are you doing today, Lisa? I'm cold. <laughs> I'm cold. It's like minus 40-something here. Um, has been all week. I, at times, think I might be on the moon. But um, I'm here. And I'm staying warm. Nice. Good stuff. Good stuff. Of course, we don't have that temperature here in Krabby, do we? To my other guest today, Mike Miller from the Yacht Treatment Center. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm good. My toes are a bit cold. The air con's still going. You know, <laughs> it's blasting, uh, hey? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> one in the morning, 30 degrees. Um, yeah. No, I'm good. <laughs> Glad to I hear it. I hate you guys. <laughs> Common visits. You're welcome. You're invited. Cordial. Thank you. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, Mike. Um, Her daughter is taken to calling me Uncle Chris. So they're going to come for a visit. They have to now. Mm. They have to. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Bound by blood. Right? (laughs) Yeah. 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 I would certainly love to have them out here. That's for sure. So, hey, listen. Last week we. uh, And I'm I'm not joking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come visit. Thank oh, you. Of course not. I appreciate course that. Not. Yeah. Right. I'd, I'd love to have the whole family cool. out here. If uh, they'd be kind of, I, I would say second family, but I'll say extended family to me. The, the entire Dr. Lisa family mm-hmm. has. So yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's right. So last, so last week we're, we're here to do, to, to, to move into um, another part of our series. I don't even want to call it a three part series. I just want to call it a series because who knows where this goes from here. Um, Last week, you know, we had a great conversation about uh, about internal family systems therapy. Um, with the benefit of hindsight, Mike, is there anything that you missed out saying or that you would have said or 
you know, it, if you if you think back, I never even we never even we never talked about this pre-recording, and it never even occurred to me until just now to ask you that question. So I've kind of kind of put you on the spot a bit there, but um, you know, you're uh, you're exposing me for the person who doesn't listen to podcasts that they've just been on. Um, <laughs> Most people, uh, but don't. I, I didn't crazy, have yeah. that like post-recording remorse. <laughs> um, that I have had in the past. I, I didn't leave feeling like, oh, I've really left something out or um, I, you know, so I, I guess that would be more up to, I'd be interested to know like comments from anyone, like what they thought about it, because for me, I kind of do what I do. I just ramble. That's why I'm on fair the weekend ramble. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, well, and, and to be fair, you were answering questions for most of that from, from, from of course, Dr. Lisa and, and somewhat from myself. Um, Lisa, did you have anything that, that maybe you would have asked about internal family systems therapy, given some time now to think about it? Of course, your week hasn't really been conducive to a lot of thought about a podcast last week. I understand you've been really busy, but you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's interesting, though, already this week, like I've been incorporating, I have not read um, the book yet, so I'm going to read the book, but um just in, you know, we had talked last week about certain patients that I felt like this might be really helpful for, particularly, you know, people who have sort of a more borderline personality construct or people who develop alternate identities as a means of kind of coping with trauma and stress. And I have a few of those patients right now in the day hospital program that I work at. And this week I was actually incorporating in that language. Um, I wouldn't say I was doing that modality of therapy per se. I'm not trained in it. I don't claim to know it, but I can see a lot of value um, in using that language. I think it's less pathologizing and I think it's validating. Um, so okay, was so using that this week, which- To interrupt you, it just, it just occurs to me, every week we have more and more people that the platform is growing at an accelerated rate right now. Maybe we should, uh, Let's just give a little bit of background about who both of you are before we get into the rest of it, not making assumptions about what people have, have listened to, right? So, Dr. Lisa, you are my regular weekend co-host mm -hmm. for the Weekend Ramble. Let's start with you, and then we'll, we'll kind of get a little bit about who Mike is. Yeah, um, so I am a, an adult psychiatrist. So I work at a Does major hospital in Calgary. an adult Calgary, or that you work and with I... <laughs> I'm an adult Girl. some of the time. Some of the time I'm not. Um, yeah, part, so I part work of with. Is. That's right. Part of me is an adult. Touché, part of me is still touché. a child. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I work with adult patients. Um, I I work on an adult inpatient psychiatry unit um, for patients who are admitted for psychiatric reasons. I work in the emergency department, um, doing psychiatric assessments in the emerge. And I also work in a four-week intensive um, therapy day hospital program. So this is a program where patients do not stay in the hospital. They sleep at home, um, but they come in Monday to Friday from nine in the morning till about three in the afternoon. And it's a, we do multiple modalities of therapy. Um, there's group work, there's individual work, they have an assigned case manager therapist. They also see me as their psychiatrist every week. Um, and I'm also a loved one of somebody who, um, you know, lives with addiction. So I have a, a brother who's four years younger than me, who struggled with addiction for 25 years or something. Um, 
and so yeah i'm also a family member um so i kind of have an interest in addiction from from two angles um and i'll just add that you know i i've done a fair bit of addictions work so um i've spent time at addiction residential treatment programs in um in the us in south africa um and i've been fairly heavily involved to a very you know to fluctuating degrees with the canadian society of addiction medicine um yeah okay so definitely packed up resume there and more than qualified to be on the show with us Uh, mike tell us a bit about you I'm not the co-host, but it kind of sounds like I got roped into like longer extended co- uh, <laughs> well, series who knows, of right? Let's see what happens podcasts. with this, man. Uh, no, you know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, well, I'm a, I'm personally in recovery, um, and I currently am. Uh, I've co-founded and. Uh, I'm the clinical director of a trauma treatment center here in Thailand. Um, after working in addictions in residential inpatient, outpatient, um, medical monitoring, like a bunch of different sort of aspects of um, substance use disorder treatment. And what I kind of, once I started getting trained more in the trauma end of things and still working in the addiction treatment, um, what became apparent to me was that I, I think all of the clients that I had um, had the underlying traumas that were like fueling the substance use or the behavioral, what people would call process addiction. So whether that's sex, gambling, food, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and so I decided what I wanted to do was address the underlying stuff rather than the behaviors like I don't need to tell someone to stop using drugs. And it's funny when we tell someone to stop using drugs, guess what? They aren't necessarily as well as they want to be at that point because there's other stuff that needs to get done, right? The drug isn't necessarily the problem. It's their solution to the problem, which is how they're feeling and what they want to get away from. So we want to address that stuff. So um, yeah, I've been clean for over 20 years and worked in the field for 20 years. and uh, yeah, that's okay. basically yeah. me. Sounds about the the man I know, and and I've come to call friend now, of course, after after months of uh, of some episodes, and of course, to stay at the Yatra Treatment Center. I mean, I, um, that's why I'm in Thailand at all, and and I'm, most people that have been following me in the platform know that. But again, new listeners, so peek behind the curtain. Came to Thailand to attend the the, the residential treatment program uh, for trauma at at the Yatra Center. Um, Left there a month and two days ago, I guess now, uh, to start my new life in Krabby. And uh, what an amazing experience it was. I mean, we'll see if we can get through the first 10 minutes of an episode without crying like we did last, ep- last week when we started this kind of mini-series. Uh, <laughs> it, and I, I do, I have to say it right off the bat, the experience was absolutely transformative and amazing. And I'm uh, forever grateful for it. So um, I thought it was important that and maybe we got Mike on here to to talk about some of the things that I tend to bastardize when I, as a layperson, try to talk about with them, with, with people. And um, last week, we went into some great depth about um, internal family systems therapy, the IFS. If, uh, if you go back and check out that episode, um, I think you, if you want to become a little more trauma-informed than you are, it's a great place to start. And of course, today, um, 
I think we're going to talk about uh, cognitive behavior therapy or CBT. If that sounds good to you, right? Yeah. I would just um, like to do a qualifier like um, what yeah. we did last week, just because people haven't heard everything, because um, it might seem strange that you came as a client to our trauma center and here I am on your podcast and you're calling me a friend uh, is that we had a relationship through the podcast before you actually came to the center. So it wasn't yes. like we met, Oh, you're a podcaster. Great. Let's get on there and like blow up my yeah, treatment no, center no, for my all. benefit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I just want to qualify, like there was a yeah. preexisting relationship that, you know, could blur the lines a bit, but we've been pretty good about maintaining boundaries around that. So, but and it's, you know, it's just funny to kind of name that. I don't know, Mike, if you if you read my post on Facebook that accompanied the testimonial that you posted of 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 mine. Did you did you read my my thing there? Yeah. It is and very clear to say those boundaries about making sure that promotion was not a part of the deal were put upon me by yourself, mm. and and it's, and boundaries put upon yourself by yourself yeah. as well to make sure that that didn't happen. And I think it it, it yeah. you're right. It is important to qualify that, and it, and you did a really good job of doing that. Right. I was no different than any other client while I was there. Um, there was never any expectation of anything. This was, you know, um, just, it, it really was an experience to, to better myself. And, you know, that's, that's exactly what it was. So, yeah. yeah. Um, it's important, I think. Um, and which is why it's important to also name it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Right. Fair enough. Um, cognitive behavior therapy was, um, I'll, I'll kind of speak to my experience before I got there with it anyway, which was virtually none. I think, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. I think because of the name, people think that they know what it is, right? And I, because it's, it sounds like a simple name, you know, and, and that was, that was the case for me anyway. And, and, and I thought I really understood, you know, I'm a reasonably intelligent guy. I'm like, oh, God, behavior therapy. Okay. I'm just you know, teaching you to modify your behaviors. Kind of, not really kind of, Right. There's there's so much more that goes into that. And um, maybe Lisa, to, to get you involved here, if you want to talk about CBT as you know it, and as, if you don't kind of want to define what CBT is, and then we'll get into get into Mike if that if that works. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, kind of in keeping with what you just said, is that um, I mean, you know, to sort of define it, it's it's very simple and yet not, right? And so cognitive behavioral therapy, I would say that the underlying goal of it is to draw connections between the way we think and the way we feel and how it affects the way we behave, um, which sounds simple and also sounds so broad that it can also, I think, sound overwhelming. Um, and I think, you know, some of the keys of it are that people often, well, they'll, when, they're, when they are oversimplifying it, what I notice is that people are often unaware um, cognitively about their thoughts, which sounds kind of impossible. But, you know, we talked, touched on this last week, but I'll have patients in sessions who will say things and I'm like, hit the brakes, rewind what did you say? And, and that sounds sort of silly, but people have automatic thoughts that are a function of just long-term patterns of thinking. 
And all of us, me included, are often not aware of those until we have somebody external to us help us identify those. And those automatic thoughts have a lot of impact on, because what I'll say to a patient is for everything you say to me, there's a hundred thoughts in your head you're not saying out loud to anybody. So if we can start to help people recognize those thoughts, um, then the hope is that they start to catch the thought, check the thought and change the thought. Um, and one of the tools, you know, we'll get into it, but there's things like thought records and, you know, um, patients will often say to me, oh, well, that's simple, or I do that in my head. And it's like, no, like when you're particularly early in CBT, get the pen and paper, do the work, and I'll wait for Mike and we can get more into what a thought record is. But another mm -hmm. skill that I really love in CBT that I use a lot and was taught to me by a preceptor during my residency program is something called IQEQ. Um, it's, I don't even know if that's a term or if that was just the term he created, but it's talking about IQ being the thought and EQ being how it feels physically, emotionally, and then we'll do reframing of the thought, which is the IQ, and then we'll, re we'll reassess the feeling that comes with it. So it's drawing those parallels. Um, and we do, like I do a lot of work where I will demonstrate that. So I'll take something they've said, like one of those thoughts that I hit the pause button on, and then we'll talk about how that feels. And then I will demonstrate reframing that thought in a way that's often more compassionate um, and more kind. And it's not about blowing smoke. It's not about pretending life is rainbows and butterflies, but you can reframe a thought in an honest way that still captures the struggle or the challenge. And it can generate a very different physical and emotional reaction in a person. Um, okay. So that would, that's sort of a overview that I would offer. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. So Mike, um, unless you have something that you would want to add, change or remove in that, de in that definition. And, and if you do, please do, um, because, because we are talking no, about, I just found myself nodding along quite a lot. Okay. 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 Great. Um, so let's talk about how that process, um, the ABC process or, or whatever, you know what, you know how to talk about CBT. It's what you do. I'm not going to, I try to lead you into that. Well, right? I mean, Go ahead. Guys, yeah, taking a break to do a quick message here. So, as, as most of you or some of you would know, I shouldn't uh, presume to assume, as they say, um, uh, know that I am in Thailand. Uh, the backstory of that, for those of you that aren't in the know, I was invited out here for a 30 day stay at the Yacht Treatment Center, which um, I guess the first part of this little commercial break is going to be about them. Uh, the Yatra Center you can, can be found at yatracenter.com, that's C E N T R E.com. And they are absolutely incredible they are the only center of their kind in the world they treat trauma exclusively and all kinds of trauma when i was there i was the only person there um that had suffered an addiction or at least that was the only reason that the, i was the only person whose reason for being there was was the traumas that i thought the reason i was there was the traumas that i suffered an addiction in reality they impact so much more than that um so much more than that and I've, I've got to say it was absolutely life-changing. Um, EMDR therapy, IFS therapy, CBT therapy, Google these guys as a commercial, so I'm not going to try and explain them all. Tai Chi, yoga, mindfulness, meditation, ice baths, everything you can imagine. And like I said, they're the only kind, one of their kind in the world. 
Uh, you might be surprised at how cost-effective it is relative to traditional treatment options in the U.S. So if you're stable in your recovery or you have trauma that uh, you would like to address and, and, and begin to heal from, um, what a fantastic place, or, or just to, just to continue healing from. They've uh, not only helped me during my 30-day stay, but past that, they give me a lot of tools to take with me and to continue that healing process. So check them out, guys. Uh, the last part of this little, this little uh, break here, um, like I said, I am in Thailand. Um, my family, when they helped me get here, it was on a one-way ticket. Um, I don't have a ticket home. I don't plan on going home. And the reason for that is here, the cost of living is so much less that I can actually afford to do what I love doing, and that is to spread the message. I'm looking for some help, folks, big help, um, getting my education visa. My education visa, that'll do a couple big things for me. Um, it will put me in a place where I can get my Thai language course. It's a, it's a year-long course, 48 weeks, two hours a day, five days a week. So it's no joke. Um, being in a country where you don't know the language is, is a challenge, to say the least. And uh, for, my, for me to be able to immerse myself here and to live comfortably, um, that's going to be a big help. The other thing that does is it makes me not have to do these, what they call border runs every month, um, which are expensive and time-consuming. And um, you, you have to go to an international border, turn around and come back. And you can only do that for so long anyway. Um, so if I get the education visa, it takes care of my first year here in Thailand, and it would be such a massive help. So if you can help, I would sincerely appreciate it. I am nowhere close to the $1,800 it's going to take me to do that. Um, you can help. See the, uh, the, the address is down below here. My PayPal or for e-transfer if you're in Canada is uh, Chris Horder, H-O-R-D-E-R 77 at hotmail.com. Sorry, Chris Horder 77 at gmail.com. That's uh, C-H-R-I-S-H-O-R-D-E-R 77 at gmail.com. And my GoFundMe, you can find at the website, uh, a2apodcast.com slash GoFundMe. And again, guys, five bucks, 25 bucks, 100 bucks, you can change my life. It goes a really long way here. And um, I just really like to keep doing what I love, and that's to help keep spreading the message. So thank you very much, and I will let you get back to the show. So um, it's, it's, it's not what I do. It's... Um a portion of what we do. And actually, as Lisa was just sort of saying, CBT has like a wide range of tools. Um, we utilize one specific tool. We don't actually do CBT therapy with you on an ongoing basis. We teach you a tool so that you can utilize it in your life and walk away with it, much like a lot of the practices that we have that aren't um, psychotherapies, right? So like, you know, you come in and you're in our center, you're going to learn um, mindfulness, you're going to learn um, yoga, you're going to learn possibly TRE, things like that. And these become practices that you can take and into your life and practice on an ongoing basis, because, you know, it's not surgery, we're not wheeling you in doing stuff to you wheeling you out, you're done and you're cured like this is you've got to do the work with us and then an, on an ongoing basis. So. Um, the one tool that we do um, is called the ABC tool. And actually, it's a bit of a misnomer because it's actually A, B, C, D, E, and F, right? But it's just, yeah. historically, it's called the ABC. Um, when I got introduced to it, I saw it as an ABC when uh, a, a organization I used to work for had A, B, C, D, E, and I've added the F onto it um, because it's... Uh, makes the process make sense to me. And now right now, none of these letters mean anything to anyone who's watching or listening. So 
Um, I'll kind of go through like some of the core sort of like tenets of CBT a bit and then all the different sort of components that we need to utilize this tool. Um, So CBT um, makes some assumptions and and I'm going to, you know, Albert Ellis didn't say it this way, but, you know, um, who's CBT founder guy. Um, This is my take on it. Um, So, you know, for all the qualified CBT therapists out there, this is just my sort of hit on this stuff. CBT assumes a few things. And one of them is that in this podcast right now, there are four conversations happening. Okay. So there's um, the one that we're having together, right? Mm-hmm. And there's the one that I'm having in my head at the same time, like, make sure you make this make sense. Uh, you know, you better don't forget this. Don't forget that. Do all that. And then there's the one that Chris is having in his head and he's going like, what is this guy talking about? And then there's the one that Lisa's having. She's going like, oh, I know way more tools of No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like we we we're yeah. constantly like we have this internal sort of dialogue that's going on all the time. We can't stop it. If we could, we wouldn't need meditation. We would all be like enlightened Buddhas or whatever. Um, like it just constantly happens. And what that that's doing is it's interpreting what's going on around us all the time. That's what it does. Now, sometimes, and it's, and it's automatic and it's not um, like, I'm not intending. It's not an intentional thing. It's just happening. And a lot of times it's like quite innocuous, right? I like look out and I go, oh, it's sunny. I will wear shorts today. Absolutely inconsequential, just pretty normal, all that. Um, but sometimes it's automatic and it's negative, right? And um, that interpretation can affect a lot of things. And so the one assumption is that we have this dialogue that's going on all the time. Um, another assumption is that what is happening isn't the thing that made me feel a certain way. It's my interpretation of that thing. So the example I always use with the clients is um, we're sitting in a room together. I'll use Chris as the example. Chris and I are sitting in a room together. Uh, Chris gets up to leave the room. He steps on my foot and walks out. And because I have this dialogue that's happening all the time, I make a meaning of what just happened. And I go, oh, he did that on purpose. He wanted to hurt me. He doesn't like me. I'm always in the way. I'm constantly getting underfoot. I'm such a loser, et cetera, et cetera. This might be what someone could do who is sitting in my office who might have aspects of anxiety and depression and all that kind of stuff. This might be a familiar dialogue to those people. Um, And then I feel, right, maybe hurt, maybe angry, maybe embarrassed, maybe shameful. Um, And then because I feel that stuff, I act in a certain way. So if I was feeling angry and stuff, I might get up and bop Chris in the nose or... um, you know, I might uh, go and recruit Lisa and be like, Lisa, did you know Chris? He's a real jerk who steps on people's feet. Or I might go into my room and I might like ruminate on stuff or I might go and grab a bottle or a bag or what, you know, like there's going to be behaviors based on the fact that I'm feeling the shame, anger, all that stuff. Now, let's suppose that Chris steps on my feet and what I say to myself in my head, that my my meaning that I make of it is, oh, Chris and I have a really good relationship. Um, we seem to be mutually respectful, get along really well. It's a great connection. He clearly accidentally stepped on my foot. Now, I don't feel anger, shame, guilt, any of that stuff, um, embarrassment that I had said. So it can't be Chris stepping on my foot that made me feel that way. 
It's the meaning that I made of it, my interpretation of it, that made me feel that stuff and then act in a way. So what we want to ask with CBT is, is the meaning that you make of it true, right? Is your mind lying to you about stuff, making Mm -hmm. you feel certain things and you act based on those lies as opposed to an objective truth, right? And so then one more component we want to talk about, and then I'll tie them all together, um, is core beliefs. So um, we, the, the, the thought is that we have core beliefs. So they're kind of um, constantly there. They've been there for a long time. They've been installed usually at a pretty young age. I kind of look at them almost like the operating system of a computer. Um, When I'm dealing with a computer, I'm dealing with programs and I'm dealing with applications. I'm not necessarily interacting that much unless I'm a coder with the actual operating system, but the operating system is informing that computer of how to interact with me. And I kind of look at core beliefs like that. They're informing how I interact with the world, even though people aren't interacting with my core beliefs in a knowing way. So let's say um, I'm six years old, my parents split up and my dad moves away and I form a belief about myself, which is I'm not lovable. Right. I might form a belief about other people, which is I can't rely on other people. I can't trust other people, maybe. And I might form a belief about the world, which is the world is unfair or the world is unsafe. So these would be like beliefs that are installed. And I don't necessarily even know I have them, but they inform the meaning that I make of the things that happen around me. They become the filter that I see the world through, even though I don't even necessarily know that they're there, like the operating system operating in the background. So let's say I have that interaction or that experience. My father um, leaves, I form a belief, I'm not lovable, um, can't rely on it, I can't trust other people and the world is unsafe and unfair. Chris is in my office, he steps on my foot. Through that lens of those beliefs, I see that happening of him stepping on my foot and as it goes through i'm not good enough or sorry i'm not lovable i'm like he doesn't like me he did it on purpose he was trying to hurt me i can't trust other people he's trying to hurt me the world is unsafe uh, you know like it's informing how i am interpreting the events that are happening around me, if that makes mm-hmm. sense so this is kind of like my view of like sort of how CBT operates. And then we take all of those components and we put them into this A, B, C, D, E, F tool. And it would be great if I had a whiteboard behind me, but I don't. So I'm just going to say them all and hopefully it'll make sense to people. A stands for activating event, the trigger, Chris stepping on my foot. Objectively, that's what happened. Chris stepped on my foot. No meaning to it. It's not Chris stepped on my foot on purpose because that's the making the meaning of it. It's just objectively, Chris stepped on my foot. That's A, the activating event. B stands for beliefs about the activating event. So that's where I make a list of all of the meaning that I make. And under my B column, I would write, he did it on purpose. Uh, he tried to hurt me. He doesn't like me. Um, I'm always underfoot. It's my fault. I always get in the way. Like all those negative sort of things. And I probably would rattle off a hundred of those, um, you know, because those thoughts can come pretty quick. They might be repetitive. They might be the same sort of a different flavor of the same stuff, but 
Generally speaking, we get a lot of these thoughts in our head going on. So that's the B column, beliefs. Um, C is the consequences of believing those beliefs. So the consequences come into two uh, forms, the feelings and behaviors. So the activating event, Chris stepped on my foot. My beliefs are, um, he did it on purpose. He doesn't like me. Um, I'm always in the way. Uh, he tried to hurt me, et cetera. The feelings are going to be, like I said, I might get angry. I might get hurt. I might feel ashamed. I might feel embarrassed. And then the behaviors are, like I said, depending on what of that is sort of the strongest, I either go and bop Chris in the nose and then, you know, get my ass kicked Please or whatever. Um, or <laughs> <laughs> I go, I wonder what the meaning is he's making of that right now. Um, <laughs> or I uh, go and I recruit Lisa or I go and I ruminate in my room or I go and I chain smoke cigarettes or grab a bottle or, you know, whatever the behavior is that I might do. That's the activating event, the beliefs, and the consequences, right? Does mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. make sense so far? Yep. It does That's to me, of course, of, it's for lack of a better in my memory, so yeah. Term. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. For lack of a better sort of way to characterize it, to the way I look mm -hmm. at it, that's the problem side of the equation, and now we're going to get into the solution side. So um, D stands for dispute, or sometimes I would, I would say disprove. So I have these beliefs in B, you know, and I, and I single them out one by one. He stepped on my foot on purpose. That's a belief that I have about the activating event. How do I dispute that? Well, I can do the Socratic questioning is like, is that even true? Did he really step on your foot or did he do it on purpose? How do you know he did it on purpose? Like, what's the evidence of that? What's your relationship like with him? And I can look at it and I can go, well, actually, objectively true. I don't know that he did it on purpose unless he like said, I'm going to step on your foot on purpose and stomped on me. I would, there's no way I can know what his motivation is. Now for a quick public service announcement. One of the best ways to reduce stigma is with education. If you still have questions that we haven't answered on today's show, you can learn more about Together We Can's education group at twcrecoverylife.org. Hey everyone, this is Ryan Bathgate from Kaleidoscope Wednesdays. I wanted to bring a public service announcement to you today about Narcan, or also known as Naloxone. These kits uh, have saved so many lives over the years. Uh, I can attest for that. Uh, being in the industry for so long, I can tell you since we've had the opioid crisis declared in 2016, it has saved thousands of lives, and I've watched it personally save hundreds of lives. These kits are small, easy to use. Uh, you can keep them in your glove box or, uh, or in a cupboard in your home, and you never know when somebody's going to need them. Uh, if you have a hard time finding a Narcan kit in your area, just email us here at Ashes to Awesome Podcast at gmail.com. Throw Narcan in the subject line, tell us where you are, and we'll do the legwork to find that for you. If you wanted to send me a question for my Kaleidoscope Wednesdays, again, email ashes2awesomepodcast at gmail.com. We will read that question on air, and I'll do my best to answer it in a comprehensive way. Uh, that's all I have for now, and I will go back to the show. Thanks for listening. Absolutely. So I would write that down. I actually don't know 
that he did this on purpose. I wouldn't say he didn't do it on purpose because like Lisa said, it's not all about like rainbows and lollipops. That w- That's a distorted thought just as well is to say yeah. he didn't do it on purpose because I also yes. don't know that. So I would just put the objective right. truth. I don't know if he did it on purpose or not. Then I would look at what's the cognitive distortion. Now my self-talk's big. I forgot to talk about what cognitive distortions are. They're basically just patterns of impaired thinking and people will be familiar with all kinds of catastrophizing, uh, mind reading, you know, so catastrophizing is like mountains out of moles, hills, mole hills. It's the worst case. I'm going to be late for dinner and I go, oh, my wife's going to kill me. Clearly she's not going to kill me. Um, that's catastrophizing. Uh, labeling is when, um, you know, I call, oh, you're a jerk or whatever. Um, black and white thinking is a cognitive distortion, um, you know, so that all or nothing sort of stuff. So there's there's a list of cognitive distortions readily available. You could just Google CBT cognitive distortions, but it's one of the ways that I dispute the belief that I have. So um, he stepped on my foot on purpose is the belief. Socratic questioning is, well, did he? And I go, well, actually, I don't know that he did. That's one way to dispute it. And then I look at, well, what's the cognitive distortion in that statement of he did on purpose? And it's mind reading. I'm acting like I can read Chris's mind and Noah's motivation when I can't. And it's just a pattern of impaired thinking that I fall into. And I walk around the world thinking that I know what people are thinking, feeling a certain way because of it and acting a certain way because of that. And it's all based on something that's distorted. I don't even know that it's true. So I always do the Socratic questioning, like, is that a true statement? And then I do the like, what pattern of impaired thinking is in that statement? So I dispute it two ways on each thing. And I know that that's getting kind of complicated. Luckily, I have a YouTube video that Chris could link maybe to this where I explain yes, all of this, certainly. except I don't do the F, I do the A, B, C, D, E. Um, just to make, cause I know it'll be hard for people to follow without a whiteboard behind me. Through each one of the, um, st- the beliefs, the statements that I've done, the self-talk, the interpretations of the activating event. And I do the same process. I do the Socratic questioning, you know, he, he tried to hurt me. It's like, well, did he? Do I know that? And it's also mind reading. It's also probably catastrophizing because what would be the worst thing is this person is trying to hurt me, right? So, oh, that one's got two cognitive distortions in in that. So I would do that for each one of these beliefs. Is it true? And what's the cognitive distortion? Um, Eventually, I get, I dispute enough of these and it can be really hard, right? Um, Some of the things seem like true statements, and they're difficult to dispute. So like, you know, this is kind of a, a different example, but if if Chris punched me in the nose and my thought was, hey, you shouldn't do that. Like, it's actually kind of true, like that you shouldn't do that, right? But should or must is also a cognitive distortion that's about not being able to accept the reality of the situation. It's like, yeah, but he did. So like, you know, sitting there and saying you shouldn't just makes me feel a certain way. And I just wanna, the reason that I write down what all the cognitive distortions are even if it's a fairly true statement is because it's just after a while of this is the thing that Lisa said, get the pen and paper out. I start to see the patterns, the go-to patterns of cognitive distortions that my mind uses. And I'll tell you right now, I know that my mind goes to labeling more than any other cognitive distortion. So you're driving, um, (laughs) you're a jerk, you're an, a-hole, you're an F in this, you're a that, this is stupid, that's a waste of time. And it's like I have these sticky notes that I just go put on everything that's kind of, and what happens when I do that? 
oh, I end up frustrated and angry and stuff all the time when I'm labeling. So now um, through realizing that pattern that labeling always leaves me frustrated and angry, when I start labeling things, I can catch it. This is where if you've done enough practice at writing it down, you can start doing it in your head where I go, oh, I'm doing that labeling thing that always leaves me angry. And what that does is it stops that chain of the negative beliefs from going. Because after the first belief where I go, Chris is a jerk, I go, oh, I'm doing that labeling thing. And guess what doesn't happen? And he's a this and this and this and this. Now I've diverted my thinking. And that's a bit further down the road, right? Yeah. But getting back to the whole A, B, C, D, E, F. So the disputes, we do the cognitive, or sorry, the Socratic questioning and the cognitive distortions for each belief that we can list. Now, E stands for effective beliefs or behaviors, and I like to go with effective behaviors. So um, if what I did was I bopped Chris in the nose, and then I went and I recruited Lisa um, and campaigned against Chris, and then I uh, ruminated in my room, and then I chain smoked and grabbed a bottle of whiskey, like these are not effective behaviors, right? So what would I do that would be more effective? And that's where I get different sort of parts that where we always bring into play the things that we do in our treatment center. So first off, what would be more effective than doing that stuff? Well, go write an ABC on it. That's the first thing. That's always a good thing to do. What's the second thing? Um, go do some breathing exercises, do some physical exercise. Like, you know, there's a lot of different, you could journal about it. You could do um, mindfulness. You could do some art, you could, whatever it might be that you would find um, would sort of help you regulate. And then possibly have a conversation with Chris and say, hey, did you know that you stepped on my foot? At which point Chris probably goes, oh, actually, I didn't really know. I was in a hurry. Sorry about that. So I, if I could get into that effective behavior at the beginning, mm -hmm. all of this stuff becomes moot, but I don't. So, you know, I have to remind myself of that to train myself so that the next time that someone steps on my foot, I can be like, hold on, wait. Um, I don't know that they did it on purpose. I don't know that they hurt me. What the effective thing to do would be like to just clear that up with them right now. And then I avoid the whole bopping them in the nose, getting my ass kicked, smoking, drinking, like all that shit. Pardon my language, right? Um, so we always list out what the more effective behaviors could be with an assumption that if I'm behaving based on distorted beliefs that are creating exacerbated heightened feelings those fe those behaviors are going to be ineffective now they're effective in trying to soothe myself but they're not effective long term right they're like a band-aid as opposed to like healing <laughs> so f stands for find that core belief that's driving all that negative talk and so what we do is we take one of those beliefs from the b column um Chris stepped on my foot on purpose. And then I just, we do what we call drilling down. So we just ask, if that's true, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. So if Chris stepped on my foot on purpose, what does that mean about me? Well, I guess it means um, I'm not important. Like that could be something it could mean. People will come up with their own sort of interpretation of that, but that could be an answer. Um, I'm not important. Okay. If that's true, that you're not important, what does that mean about you? Um, it might mean, uh, people won't like me. People won't take care of me. Um, I can't, uh, you know, I'm not safe. Like, you know, we just keep doing the thing. If that's true, what does it mean? If that's true, what does it mean? If that's true, what does it mean? It might be like, 
if that's true, that Chris stepped on your foot on purpose, what does that mean about him? Because remember, core beliefs can be about others and stuff. I can't trust him. Now we're already into the language of core beliefs, right? So what we do is we just keep drilling it down until we get something that sounds like a core belief. And so, you know, if I get to the, if I do, he, he stepped on my foot on purpose. I'm not important. What does that mean? He doesn't like me. If that's true, what does that mean about you? I guess it means I'm not good enough. Boom. Core belief. I'm not good enough. Would it make sense if I had a core belief of I'm not good enough that when he steps on my foot, I'm going to think he did it on purpose. He tried to hurt me. He doesn't like me. It's, oh, yeah, that's for sure. That's going to support yeah. that sort of a belief system if I'm seeing it through the lens of I'm not important. So how do we tie that into the whole program is we take that core belief and we put it on a list of beliefs that we have to target with EMDR eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. And we say, if I have a core belief of I'm not good enough, what memories do you have that support you having that belief? Well, guess what? My dad left when I was six. That supports that belief of I'm not good enough. Um, I didn't get picked for the team. Uh, you know, I got bullied at this point. Um, you know, and now I have all these memories that I can target for desensitization using EMDR um, so that I don't carry these core beliefs and have this distorted uh, perception of the world on an ongoing basis, and it can lessen the triggers. And that's kind of how we tie all that in. I know I've been rambling a lot. I hope that makes oh, sense. No, it, it does make sense. And, and it might be hard for someone to follow along, but hey, go ahead and, and keep listening. Lisa, you, you've got something yeah. to offer there. There is something that I want to touch on that you kind of went into, Mike. But Lisa? Do you want to go first? Because um, you got no. something ready I, i've I got have something a bunch that's, of thoughts, that's more why don't you okay 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 maybe i will just quickly as as kind of an interjection into kind of the, the cbt thing well you just said mike at the end the things that that make us are that that support our core beliefs dad you know left i didn't get picked for the team kind of the small t trauma stuff right and, and something that i've um yeah. when i as, as I become more trauma informed, and I've got a long way to go before I could ever take that that title, I think. But um, something that I, I I try to articulate to people, and, and maybe I don't do a great job of it. Maybe sometimes I do a better job of it. Is that these things happen to us when we are young, and they're seemingly insignificant. But this is the this is the thing with trauma is that it's not. And and the way I've kind yeah. of simplified that. I don't want to call it an argument, but but to simplify that statement or or that ideal to somebody is to say that say that yeah, it was thirty years ago, or has it been snowballing and turning into something in your own, in your brain for thirty years, right? So this is a very different perspective well, on that, and, and and potentially why. So, but go ahead. I I just I wanted to touch base on how important those small t. I hate that term yeah. trauma are right. So yeah. Well, I think. Um... It doesn't matter where the, like, if I was sexually abused as a child, I would still come up with that core belief of I'm not important. It doesn't really matter where it came up. Like, trauma isn't what happened. It's what you're left with from it. And core beliefs are one of the things that you're left with. There might be physiological stuff, right? There might be, um, like, you know, really strong um, startle responses. There might be anxiety. That, like, there could be all kinds of stuff. Core beliefs is one of the things that you're left with. It doesn't matter what it was that created it. And one of the myths about trauma is like, you have to be sexually abused in a war zone, in a plane crash. Like that's the stuff that creates trauma. And it's just not true. Um, 
they, those things obviously could be traumatic, but trauma is like what you're left with. And so when we apply, so CBT wasn't designed for trauma. It wasn't designed for addiction. Um, you know, it came up to help with anxiety and then, and then depression. And um, well, if you look at anxiety, like what does traumatic stress look like a lot of the time? It looks like, you know, a hyper aroused nervous system, which looks like anxiety, right? And we're getting triggered and everything. Um, so if we can apply that CBT to clean up um, and address some of the thinking that er that comes arises from those traumatic events that create the core beliefs, and then we use the EMDR to desensitize the triggering of those uh those events so that I don't have to live in that thinking so much. That's how we tie it into the trauma stuff. So I think it's a good point. The other thing is if I had that a long time ago and formed that belief, like that belief just gets reinforced. So say my dad left and I formed this belief, I'm not important. If that never happened and I didn't get picked for the team, that might not seem as significant, but because of the thing with my dad preceding that, now I don't get picked and I'm like, oh, well, there you go. See, I'm not important. And it just reinforces it over, you know, I don't get the right office at the, at the or the right desk at the office, or I don't get this, or I don't get that, or the girl likes my friend instead of me, or like whatever it is, it's like just keeps reinforcing it. So what we want to do is we're going to go back to what we call the touchstone memory, wherever possible. Where does this come from at first? And we try to clean that stuff up. Um, but CBT in and of itself isn't always applied to trauma because you have to have access back to your prefrontal cortex where you can actually like use cognitive abilities. Okay. And if you're in yeah. a survival mode, you can't because like, I need to survive this moment. I'm not sitting here going like, let me examine my thinking. So what I need to do is be relaxed in my body before I can get to that. So it's not always used in trauma, but when you come into our center day one, yoga, mindfulness, breath work, ice baths, sound bowls, uh, progressive muscle relaxation. Like there's a bunch of stuff that you do to regulate the nervous system, relax the body, give you access to the cortex. Then we get you into the CBT, which can then lead into the EMDR. And it, that's kind of how it like one knocks into the next one and the next one. It's fantastic. Lisa, you've got some things. Yeah. First one is, um, I, I love, like I've never actually heard or seen the practice of using EMDR to desensitize to those situations that led to those destructive core beliefs. But that's like, that's amazing, <laughs> right? Because again, we at the day hospital program I'm at, we do offer um, some trauma therapy, but it is often centered around the big Events. T. Like I know we've talked about big T, small T, whatever, you know, it's like if there's a rape, if there's a death, if there's, you know, a car accident, it's like, that's where we tend to utilize it. But it mm. makes so much sense to me that if you can try to figure out what were those early childhood events that led to those core beliefs that are destructive to you, to desensitize to that, like that's like, I feel like my mind is just going, <laughs> like that's awesome um, welcome to yatra lisa no I'm just i know i need to come to yatra can i come like i don't know i don't have big t's i'm not going to claim that i do you know but no, it's well, like we all have core beliefs like um, sure. and they're they're not always helpful um no they're debilitating just, yeah right um but it's just just kind of as you were talking and i didn't want to keep like interrupting and interjecting but um 
just, I was jotting down thoughts, like one of them being that everything we experience creates a lens in front of our face, right? Through which we see the world. And it's not all bad. Like we also have, you know, rosy lenses in front of our face too. Um, but I think sometimes people who haven't done therapy, they don't necessarily get that. Um, and so again, simple concept, but I think there's value in naming it is to, to sort of say that everything that happens to you from birth right on through changes the lens through which you're going to see the world. Um, you know, I feel like I see a lot of people minimize childhood things. You know, it's like, oh, well, like, whatever. Like, there's other people who have it worse than me. And it's like, but Get this over. is not a competition, right? <laughs> um, it's not to say, oh, well, that event was was smaller than than some other big event that we can all name. It still changes the way that you see the world, right? Um, Absolutely. And another thing I find is that, like, I'll usually in my first session with a patient in the day hospital program, I focus on the kind of like, where are we at today, right? So like, I start off in that first session screening for, is there major depression? Is there some particular form of anxiety? Like, and then in my second session, I go back to childhood every time. And not to say that there aren't people out there who've had you know, textbook perfect childhoods and then have like a catastrophic event when they're older and that that's where it's at that happens. But I would say by far the majority of things that I see in session one going, okay, like we're dealing with generalized anxiety or we're dealing with, you know, depressed mood or whatever it is, almost, I won't say ever, I won't, I won't say always, but by far the majority of the time, when I do session two and we talk about your childhood, I want to know, describe your mom, describe your dad, describe their relationship, describe, you know, your validation or invalidation in childhood, describe how you were, you know, disciplined as a child, describe what happened to you in school, describe early major relationships in your life. I can almost every single time formulate okay so so now we have anxiety or we have depression or we have this and i can say to them so what i'm hearing is and go back to those childhood things and so often patients are sitting there look like going oh my god like have never connected that to this and suddenly it makes a lot of sense right so i think those those early childhood things. Um, another thing as you were talking was I always like to tell patients, your brain does so much without your conscious involvement. You know, and I think Absolutely. it's validating for patients. You know, I find it works a lot in OCD because people are like, why is my brain, you know, like OCD, a lot of people will think of like the, what they see in movies, chronic hand washing, you know, standing at the lock, check the lock, you know, for two hours or whatever. But a very, like what I actually see clinically in OCD is a lot of patients having these really horrific intrusive thoughts about murdering their loved ones or, you know, doing terrible things to people they love and they would never do it. Um, but they have these thoughts and they feel like, well, I must be a bad person because this is what my brain is thinking about. And so I always tell people, the brain is such a weird organ <laughs> and it does things all by itself. It comes up with thoughts and ideas. Um, 
that have, they're not related to who you are, or your values or your morals or what you would do or what you wouldn't do. It's like the brain just does shit. And, and I think that that can be really uh, validating for people because sometimes people feel like every thought their brain has equates to who they are as a person. Well, it's that pathologizes pathologization. Is that the word? But pathologizing people and being like, you know, that, that yeah. locating the problem within them. One of the things I'll talk to like to dispute that, you know, if their belief is, Oh, I'm bad because of this, the way I would dispute that about controlling your brain is like, so how do you sleep? Like, are you mm -hmm. telling your heart to beat? Are you telling your lungs to breathe? Like your brain is doing that. You know, this is autonomic stuff that you're not choosing to do. I had a manager who used to call it ANTS, A-N-T-S, automatic negative thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. And he would like draw a little ant on the board and be like, this is an ant, automatic negative thought. You're not choosing it. And actually the dispute part of it is the well thought out reasoned intentional thinking that you is more in line with your value system usually, right? It's like, yeah, actually yeah. I, I don't want to kill my family and yeah. I would never do that. And I'm actually yeah. really the evidence that I'm a good person is that I'm really bothered by these thoughts. And so, you know, I would bring that in. As exactly. A... Totally. Like I'll never forget a little girl that I saw in the emergency department of the children's hospital when I was a resident and I was on a child rotation and she was this like absolutely adorable, sweet. I think she was probably about 10 years old, little girl. Um, this was not a kid with conduct disorder. This was not a girl who was going to grow up to have antisocial PD and go around killing people and be in jail. Um, she was a really sweet little girl with OCD and her OCD presented as intrusive thoughts of killing her mother. So like she couldn't wrap Christmas gifts with her mom because she would, the minute she'd put scissors in her hand, she would picture herself stabbing and killing her mother with the scissors. And she would throw the scissors across the room and run and hide um, because she was so terrified that she might hurt her mom because these thoughts would pop into her head. Um, you know, I mean, OCD is like a horrific, horrific illness. But, you know, even at 10 years old, to, I said to her, like, you know, your brain can come up with thoughts. It's like it just does it all by itself. Like you're not doing that. Um, this is just our brains are weird. And to be able to separate herself from those thoughts and realize the thoughts do not equate to who I am can be, you know, super powerful. Um, core beliefs, you know, you talked about that. And I find that so fascinating to watch through the day hospital program is people discovering their core beliefs, you know, because again, people, they're there. We all have them. Um, and people, unless they've done therapy, I would say people don't know what their core beliefs are about themselves. It's, 100%. you know, it, I, I could speak to that real briefly yeah. just because of my recent experience. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a pretty introspective person. I like to think I spent most of my life, even in my worst, darkest days of active addiction, I'm pretty self-aware. Mm -hmm. I had no idea until sitting in that office with Mike. What, yeah. I didn't even really know what a core belief was. Again, had you asked me, I would have told you I knew until I knew. Right. Yeah. One of one of those situations. Right. But make it. Yeah. Right. I would offer that. That. Yeah. That, that the vast majority of people, unless you've had direct exposure to the idea and definition of a core belief that you, you would have no idea. what. Core mm -hmm. And like yeah. there's the there's the expression, too, that you'll often hear in CBT is name it to tame it. Right. And yeah. again, like our core beliefs 
drive so much of all the A, B, C, D, E, F that, you know, Mike just went through. Um, okay. Okay. But yeah, it's just the core beliefs do drive so much of all the other things, right? Like, you know, talking about when someone steps on your foot, everything that happens after they step on the foot is ultimately driven by your core beliefs. And so Absolutely. if you don't know what that is, you can't name it. If you can't name it, you can't tame it. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I just think the core belief piece of it is so big. And I feel like what I see throughout the day hospital program is at some point in that four weeks, the person has this light bulb go off and they're like, I didn't know I believed that. And all of a sudden, everything makes sense, you know, because even subsequent to the discovery, they'll come in and they'll be like, you know, pissed off about something. And even once they know it, and this is why, again, it's simple yet not, because they'll come in to see me and they'll be like pissed off about something somebody else said in group or pissed off about something that their, their caseworker did or said or whatever. And I'll often just go, what was, what was that core belief again? Like, and I often don't need to say anything else. I'll just say, what was that core belief that you discovered? And then it's just like, you know, it's just going off again. And they'll often, once you guide them back to the core belief, once they've discovered it, they're then able to go, okay, now I'm going to recognize all the things that have been going on in my head for the last hour or day or week about this thing that's bugging me. And they can tie it all back together once they figure out what that core belief is. Yeah. If I can give an example of my experience of that personally, of being aware of being helped to become aware of what a core belief I had. Um, so I did, I do have some abandonment and attachment stuff because of my father. Um, and the core belief that I had that I didn't know that I had was people are disposable. Right. Um, Interesting, interestingly enough, it wasn't I'm disposable. It was people are disposable. That's kind of what I learned from the stuff that had happened. And so um, I remember being, and I've Chris has probably heard this story because I, I use it as an example quite a bit. But I remember being about 17 years old and working as a prep cook in a restaurant. And um, my job was to, you know, put dates on things and put them in the walk-in cooler and stuff. And um, one day, the manager, I was relatively new, I'd been there like a couple months or something, didn't have a strong work history at the time either, by the way. Um, and the manager came up behind me and said, oh, you've, you've put the wrong date there. Um, that's tomorrow's date or yesterday's date. I was off by one day. In my head, I went, he's going to fire me. And I went home that day and I literally never went back to that job. Because I was like, they're going to fire me anyway, so I will dispose of them before they can dispose of me. I didn't think of it in those terms, but I was like, I just can't go back there. They're going to fire me. And then I had all these like relationships with women where like there's a part of me really yearning for this connection. So I would like do what I had to do to get into the relationship, you know, like whether that was like, you know, saying the right things or doing the right things or whatever, because I really wanted to connect with with women. Then I would get. Um, you know, we'd have like an argument or something. I'd be like, well, I guess that's over, you know, and I would like, 
mm-hmm. or they're going to break up with me. So I'd have to break up with them or they're going to break up with me. So I'd get really clingy. Like my behavior would all be because mm-hmm. I thought I'm going to be disposed of. So I would either dispose of them or get disposed of. And I had this really long history of like short, intense kind of relationships. When I became aware of that core belief, I literally have had all long-term relationships from that day. I had like a couple of longer term relationships when I was younger, but it, that wasn't the norm. That was like outside of the norm quite a bit. And what I consider long when I'm a teenager. Yeah, that, that would have changed over time as well. Yeah, right? long, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Cause that's making me like draw connections to between like, and I'll preface this by saying that one of my favorite therapy preceptors throughout residency was a psychiatrist who was very upfront with me. He was my assigned CBT um, preceptor. And he said to me, I don't do pure CBT. And he's like, I don't do pure anything. Because he said, there's no patient who shows up who they just need CBT. He said one day, or even within a session, they might need support for 10 minutes. Then they might need some CBT. And we might need some DBT skills and some mindfulness skills. And so he's like, realistically, as a therapist, you need to know, you don't need to know them all. None of us do, but you need to know a handful of modalities. And if you're being attentive to your patient, you're going to go in and out of various modalities in the span of an hour. Um, But what you were just talking about was making me even see like how you can draw connections between using CBT and learning your core beliefs about yourself and then tapping into psychodynamic psychotherapy, where one of the things that we'll talk about is that we create the thing we fear, right? So it's like what you're talking about there is that there were these core beliefs that people are disposable or that you're not worthy of somebody staying with you and committing to you and standing beside you. So then what you start doing throughout your life is you start going, you know what, I'm going to anticipate that you're about to leave me. So I'm going to push you away. And then I'm going to sit there and go, see, that relationship didn't last. And it's like, but you push them away. And, and, And that's starting to get into psychodynamics, right? Where it's like, you push them away, then you validate the belief that, see, this relationship was never going to last. Um, and it's like, but you just ended the relationship in anticipation of them ending the relationship. And you're the one who ultimately created the very thing you fear, which is that you're sitting here alone again. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a very good point is that um, I remember getting trained in uh, narrative therapy and they were like narrative therapy is a standalone like you don't do an eclectic mix or an eclectic approach when you do narrative you're a narrative therapist or you're kind of not but mm-hmm. uh, and I love narrative therapy but there are elements of CBT and it. it's like what are you doing when you're disputing is you're changing the narrative right and you're taking some power back and you're shifting that power imbalance and, and all you know it's all sort of I don't think anyone's necessarily reinventing the wheel I will say, you know, some of the things that we do, like EMDR, not not a lot of like stuff stolen from other places too much. It's a bit yeah. of a different yeah. animal. But now there are other modalities that kind of piggybacked off of EMDR, right? And I guess if you thought about it way back, maybe EMDR piggybacked off, off hypnotism um, because there's eye movements involved. But um, I think it's good to, I don't get too precious about any therapy. I'm not a gatekeeper. I've been gatekept a lot of times in my life. And I just think like, 
there's a skill set and which skill set is going to help the person in front of me. Like, it's like what I tell the clients. It's like, you need a toolbox. Like Mm -hmm. if you have a, if you have a hammer, everything's a nail, but that isn't going to help you in the long run. So we need different tools to pull out at different times. And if in an IFS standpoint, I have different parts that have different roles (laughs) and they come out at different times in different protective ways um, to help me. I don't want like, you know, I, I, you know, for me, there's a part of me that like doing drugs to relieve pain. And when it was like, you know, the hammer and everything was a nail, I was doing drugs all day, every day, whether I felt good, bad, indifferent, or, you know, whatever that isn't working. Right. Um, so I think that, you know, in, in the world of therapy, quite often in a session, we will go from, uh, EMDR into IFS into like, you know, some talk supportive therapy, Mm. add a little CBT in there, you know, back to the EMDR, that kind of stuff. And I think that it's whatever the presenting issue is. Now, what we do is we do have like sort of an order of operations that we try to adhere to, but I'm not working for an arbitrary order of operations. I'm working for the client. So what is the client need that's sitting in front of me in a client centered way? That's what it should be. But definitely, I think a, a varied uh, toolbox is, is going to be a lot more useful mm-hmm. as a therapist, I, my opinion. I have to say, you know, with my experience at, at Yatra, I think I was about two and a half, maybe three weeks in before I even realized that there was kind of this thing by design that you were doing, the formula, as I called mm-hmm. it. And I, I think when we were sitting in your office, I said, like, is, there's a formula here or something. I, or what, what are you doing? Or I, I can't remember how that conversation went exactly. But um, I was, it was completely outside of my awareness for like three weeks. Anyway, ish, right? I was, I was like, like, this fucking guy. Right? <laughs> like, it's like know. a gotcha moment. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it. like, oh, I, I see what's going on here now, right? And, and I wonder how many people go, go the, the entire thing. Because again, I, I do consider myself a little more introspective or self-aware than, than, than a lot of people or whatever, but that just might be my ego too. But Well, different um, people have different um, parts of them, right? Yeah. That yeah. like to protect themselves in certain ways. And one of the ways that, you know, quite a few people have a part that if in their past they've been out of control, Nowadays, the, a part will be like, I need to control stuff. And one of the things that they want to control is what type of therapy do we do on which day? And, you know, and they don't want to let me lead it necessarily. And they're so, okay. you know, and, and it's a way to feel safe. It's like, I'm not up for EMDR today. And I'm like, you know, you know, what do I usually do? I'd be like, okay. Yeah. I might yeah. say which part of you isn't up for it or something like that. But I'm never going to make someone do something they don't want to do. But I think some people are so wrapped up in their own stuff that they maybe don't see that it is by design. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it, it is. It, it really is. Yeah. It was like, for me, it was just kind of mind blowing. I was like, this is like, this is actually really cool. Cause now I can, you know, with, with the fact that I can see what's going on and it just kind of, you know, well, Made me want to shout your praises from the rooftops. Mm-hmm. Listen, thank you. Lisa um, can probably, I, I, I just want to say one last thing before yeah. you, Lisa yeah. can probably talk to it. I can go into that room with all the best plans in the world, right? But we're going to follow this. Like, so, yeah. unless it's like a really structured DBT program, right? Which is literally like, go to DBT. this page on this date. Yeah. It's like X amount of weeks. It's, it's a really structured program. Um, okay. Most therapies aren't like that, right? So unless it's DBT, I can go in and be like, 
oh yeah, me and Chris are going to do EMDR today because he's got that one memory that's really been hanging around. He'd like some relief from it. And then we sit down in the room and you go, actually, boom, I got this email from someone. It's like, well, that plans out the window and now we're going to deal with this thing that's in the room. Right. So um, perfect world. There'd be scheduled sessions that could unravel like that, but especially in the world of trauma, like in between sessions, a lot of stuff is happening that can dictate where we go next. So again, it's like, Mm -hmm. ideally sure practically sometimes right sometimes yeah Yeah. and like in the day hospital program i only see the patients once a week so they're you Mm -hmm. know they're seeing the 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 case managers are running the groups and so even though they're not doing one-on-one sessions with their patients every day they're seeing them daily i don't see them daily and so i totally agree with you like i'll usually have at the end of a session what i plan to do with the next session and very oftentimes the next session has nothing to do with what i wrote um and i usually tell the patients i'm like this is your session like this is yeah. it's not mine it's yours so i'll say yeah. if they bring something into the room at the outset i'll say to them you know we had considered because i'll also review my plan for next week. So I'll say, you know, we we planned last week that today we were going to focus on this. This is now something you're bringing up. Which do you want to do? Yeah. Matter to I me. I feel like I know? had that conversation three times a week in Mike's office. Yeah. Well, I think one one of the things yeah. that I would just say to people is like, yeah. what do you think would be the most productive use of an hour of our time together? Um, yeah. And you know, <laughs> because say say someone comes in and sleep disturbance is a really really common thing for us because some people have been coping through different substances you know different uh hyper aroused nervous systems are not sleeping well nightmares it's you know it's just really common and people might come in and they'll be like you know i always ask how are you right like that's a greeting how are you um and people i get one of two responses um one is like i'm good or i'm fine you know like that happens and then i have a kind of canned question how come because like we never focus on why the things are going well we always focus on the shit so when it's well i would like let's bring some attention to that yeah, yeah. you tried to get around it but we got away we found our way around <laughs> you getting around it. Um, but the other thing is that they will tell me what the presenting sort of situation is they're, they're having today and a lot of the times it's like i'm really tired because i didn't sleep like that happens a lot and so sometimes i'll say like do you think you would be best served by this hour of actually going and sleeping right now because i know what it's like for me when i have because i do see people four times a week and i can also be flexible and i have i don't book sessions on a wednesday so like on a on a tuesday if chris is like absolutely can't be present can't be here go sleep and i'll see you on wednesday you know like we have some flexibility with that like is that a useful way to spend the time or are we just going to sit down across from each other for an hour because that's the schedule like are we working for the schedule or are we trying to get chris's needs met yeah yeah um one thing i'll say too is that you know, because I think for anyone listening, this probably sounds overwhelming. <laughs> it's mm. my guess, right? Yeah. It's like we're gonna we're gonna do explain all of CBT to you in an hour. Um, there's like really awesome workbooks. Um, obviously, if you can, if you have a therapist, if you can get a therapist, and you feel like you'd benefit from CBT, that's great. But there are people out there who don't have the finances, don't have the schedule, don't have the access, and CBT is actually one of the modalities that I would say where you can get some really great, you know, go on Amazon, Google CBT workbook, and there's some really great workbooks that will sort of step you through doing CBT. Um, 
because you know you don't go into CBT and and do all of this by yourself on day one, right? It's like it's it's generally guided. They, we step you through it, but there are some really really good ones. Like I don't even have a specific one that I'm like you know if you're gonna do it, order this one because I've seen so many great ones. Read the reviews if they've got good stars, <laughs> you know, um, go for it. But it's definitely something that you can get workbooks on and and work through on your own. My is first there, is there anything was, on the on the website or anything or or is there no, anything available um, to people? Our resources are alumni. Sorry, I, ah, I lied. Okay. I'm a gatekeeper. If you're an alumni, <laughs> you have access to our resources. But you know, like I said, yeah. I have uh, a YouTube video up. I can send that to you, Chris. Yeah, please uh, do, about please the do, yeah, it yeah. doesn't have the F of finding core beliefs because much like Lisa said, I didn't want to overwhelm people. This was at the beginning of the pandemic. And a lot of, I saw on social media, a lot of my friends, anxiety is heightening, getting depressed, isolated at home. And I was like, well, I know this tool that might help some people. So I asked on social media, do you, would you guys be interested in a video? And a bunch of people said, yes, it's a terrible quality video. I'll just say that right out of the gate. But I have a little vignette on there of like my wife sort of gets a phone call and that's the activating event and what's the meaning. So we actually go through it that way and, and lead into it. And then it's like a whiteboard video where it's all laid out. Um, like graphics, not me at a whiteboard. Um, so it, it explains through that kind of stuff. But okay. the first book I ever read on CBT was literally CBT for dummies. It's one of those for dummies books. And it's, I mean, it's a, it's a bigger one, but it's there, but there are um, lots of littler ones on like how to practice it. Uh, you know, the tools for yourself and things like that. There's tons of books on that. Okay. Great. 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 Um, so for anybody that's, that's been interested thus far, um, we, we do have another episode next week. And uh, we, we've been saving, I hate to call it the best, but my personal favorite and, and my biggest kind of revelations came from EMDR. <laughs> um, so so I, I'll say it the best for last, at least through my lens. Um, and, and of course, part of, the, part of the whole thing that happens at Yatra is how they, they blend all three of these together, which we've touched base on in this episode and in last weekend's Weekend Ramble. And, uh, and I guess with a chance to open up about EMDR a bit more, we'll have, you, you'll have more of an opportunity to kind of, you know, kind of re-explain how all three of those are, are working together. And more than that, how everything else that's happening um, at the center is, is kind of feeding into it as well, you know, next week. So, so make sure that, uh, that you know, if, if you're interested so far, that you come back for another one. Um, that does bring us to my favorite part of the show, and that is the Daily Gratitudes. Today's Daily Gratitudes are brought to you by Revolution Recovery, helping men recover and become their best selves through support and treatment. They've been there and they understand. What you got for us, Lisa? I am grateful that I have a house. Um, I've been thinking a lot. <laughs> it's all about the cold this week for me. Um, but, you know, yeah. thinking about well, people, particularly, yeah. you know, um, homeless people um a lot of people sadly struggling with addiction find themselves you know struggling with housing um and so i've definitely been thinking about people like that um this week here in calgary it's literally been with the wind chill close to minus 50 at times um you know i was actually i, I went to a friend's birthday party dinner last night and 
when I was out actually saw one of the teams here in Calgary that will go around looking for homeless folks, handing out mittens, picking them up, driving them to shelters. Um, thankful there's resources like that. There's people out there doing that work. And, you know, even said to my six-year-old the other day, like we were, she was getting ready for bed. And I said, like, we're lucky. We're lucky we have heat. We're lucky we have blankets, you know, and, and she's still sort of like, what? Like, and her and I talk about it. And I said, you know, there's people out there that don't have a house, right? There's people out there who, um, who don't have somewhere warm to be. Um, so that is what I'm grateful for this week. No kidding. That's, that's a wonderful gratitude. Mike, um, what do you got? Yeah, that, um, you know, listening to Lisa and thank you for that, like did bring a lot of stuff up. You know, I, I remember when I went to treatment, the first thing on my first gratitude list was clean sheets. And I'm grateful that that doesn't have to make my gratitude list now because it's the norm instead of this sort of treat or, you know what I mean? Um, and yeah. it's things like that, that perspective where it's like, well, I'm really grateful that I live in a country where it's like, you know, 30 degrees at two 30 in the morning and, uh, I'm not at 50 below. And, you know, so, uh, and that I can afford to have air conditioning and, you know, um, that, that my, I'm my, my Maslow's hierarchy, like my safety and security needs are absolutely met. Um, I don't have to worry about food security. I don't have to worry about a roof over my head or anything like that. Just really sort of what people would consider the basics or what I would generally consider the basics, which aren't the basics for some people, they, they don't have it. And so, you know, I think I'm sitting in that sort of privileged place of, of being secure and just your gratitude sort of made me reflect on that um, because yeah, it's been a, a stressful little bit for us here with the move of our treatment center and construction and renovations and all that stuff. And it's very easy for me to get into a like, ah, poor me, I'm so hard done by. And it's like, yeah, it's really tough being the clinical director of a, a trauma center that we're like sort of building up in the <laughs> in a tropical wonderland. You know, like it's it's yeah. ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, so I'm grateful that. For, for where I sit in life, and I'm grateful for the conversation with you guys tonight. Excellent. And now, of course, Lisa, you, you got me on it too, right? You know, as, as you both know, and, and, and certainly not the place to talk about it, my life has been very, very stressful the last few days, and, and, and well, last couple of weeks, really. And now you just put it on perspective, though, right? Like, really, you did. Right? I, what do I got to For all the same reasons, I don't even need to repeat all the same things you said, Mike, right? Like, I've Life could be so much worse, and it really is for a lot of people right now. So yeah. for that time, uh, I am very, very grateful. I'm also grateful to every single person who continues to like, comment, share, subscribe, do all the things down at the bottom. You know what you got to do. Every time you do any of these things, you're getting me closer to living my best life. My best life is to continue making a humble living, spreading the message. The message is this. If you're in active addiction right now, today could be the day. Today could be the day that you start a lifelong journey. Reach out to a friend, reach out to a family member, call into detox, go to a meeting, go to church. I don't care. Do whatever it is you've got to do to get that journey started because it is so much better than the alternative. And if you have a loved one who is suffering right now, just taking the time to listen to this episode, if you could just take one more minute and text that person, let them know they're loved. Use the words. You are loved. That little glimmer of hope just might be the thing that brings it back.
to go. 